I uh, want to talk to you about something found in the book of John, the Gospel of John. So you've got a Bible, and if you'll take the Bible and turn to the Gospel of John. And while you're there, go to chapter 11. That sounds like a good chapter, don't it? Don't it sound like a good chapter to go to? It starts off with the resurrection of Lazarus. He'd been sick, but then he died. And he uh, was raised from the dead. Really, Israel as a nation had, well, I guess spiritually they were dead. And the Son of God came to his own, but his own received him not. But they wouldn't come back from the dead. They didn't want nothing to do with him. The leaders, the rulers, scribes, Pharisees, and all. But I want you to look there in verse 45. Because I believe that as we head into the next chapters, you'll see that there's a, a story that's weaved through here that I think is very, very good. In verse 45, he says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. And they, when they heard it, they were just so excited and so glad and they were willing to accept Jesus with open arms. Now he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He was rejected. See, he came to the nation of Israel, made a legitimate offer as the king of Israel. And uh, the people did not accept him. He was rejected. So you have many of the things that uh, Christ said and did that were about the kingdom upon the earth. So when you read the book of Matthew, you're studying a book about the king and his kingdom constitution, how he's going to set up his kingdom. Uh, that's mainly what the Olivet Discourse is about. Uh, you see him picking his cabinet and laying down things that uh, he's going to do in his kingdom and told them that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven was the kingdom that God was going to set up upon the earth. And so in Matthew, you have it where they came and wanted to know, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So you look in Mark, the Bible talks about Mark picturing Jesus Christ as a great servant. And so he was the king, but yet he was a servant. And when you study the book of Mark, almost every verse starts off with immediately or straightway. He was always going, 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 going. Then when you come to the book of Luke, it pictures Jesus Christ as the perfect man, as the ox, as the perfect man. Mark pictured him as the servant, Luke as the man, and talks a lot about his, his birth and so forth, and his genealogy, and why he was able to claim the throne of Israel. Even though Matthew pictures Jesus Christ and gives a genealogy uh, that he also, through that line, uh, could claim the throne, but because of a curse put upon the line, he wasn't able to. But through uh, Mary and through Nathan, he was able to claim the throne. And then you have the Gospel of John that pictures Jesus Christ as God himself. So though he was king, he was a servant, and though he was a man, he was God. So Jesus Christ was the perfect God-man. And so here in the Gospel of John, he came and he made a legitimate offer for the kingdom. 
And whenever they rejected him as being their king, then you'll see a shift in the direction of what Jesus begins to talk about. There's that shift here in chapter 11 of the book of John. So there in verse 47, he says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council, and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. Wouldn't that have been a shame? We let him alone, everybody's going to believe on him. And then get the rest of it. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that, get this, now these are a couple of good statements he makes here. I don't really know if he understood the depth of what he was saying, and whether he was just referring to, you know, Barabbas. But he says in verse 50, Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Now there's more here than I'm going to get into tonight. Verse 51, And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and then get the rest part of it, and not for that nation only. Now, the Calvinists would have problem even with this. But he says, And that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. And in verse 54, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews. Things began to change. He began to spend more time with his disciples and teaching and preparing them because the kingdom was going to be postponed. He said, the hour has come, he's going to the cross. So everything begins to change a little bit. So in John chapter 12, in verse 1, then six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany. Then down in verse 7, talks about, let her alone, she's prepared me for the burial. So now we're getting into the preparation for Jesus going to be crucified. Preparation for his death, for his burial. And so he goes into here and he says some mighty wonderful things about being lifted upon the cross. And if you look there in chapter 12, you'll notice what he says here in verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. That he's going to die by being lifted up. He'll be placed on the cross. And that death was going to be the good news for every man for whom he died. So this was good news to all the world. Remember whenever he was born into the world. And this is the Savior and joy to the whole world. Because he died for everyone in the world. So, talks about he was the light of the world. And when you and I trust him as our Savior, we become the lights in the world. And he was taken from this world and left some lights here. So you and I are supposed to have this message about what Christ has done for us to share with everyone. But look there in verse 46. 
I am come a light into the world. Now, whosoever, that's an open invitation to anyone, whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. It means you won't abide in a lost world, in a lost state. You'll have the free gift of everlasting life and know that you're going to heaven. But he talks about those who reject him. You see what he says in verse 47, And if any man hear my words and believe not, so a man can hear the word and believe not. Well, there are some people who say, well, you couldn't have believed anyway because God didn't give you the faith. Uh, that is erroneous teaching. He says, you can hear his word. I judge him not, for I come not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, although he doesn't have a choice. No, it means he can hear the word and believe and hear the word and not believe. And so the Lord has laid it out for us real nice and pretty. He's coming into the world to die on the cross, pay for the sins of the world. And those who believe would be children of light, have eternal life and go to heaven when they die. John chapter 13. John chapter 13 begins the upper room discourse. This is where he has his disciples and begins to teach and to train them from chapter 13 to chapter 17 about, I believe, what's going to take place and their ministry during the church age. Because this will start on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, he promised, would come. He promised that in chapter 14. Talking about the Holy Spirit will come. And it's not because anyone prayed except the Lord. He says, and I will send him and he will be a comforter and he shall be with you and shall be in you for a reason. So for the last 2,000 years, there's some lessons in between chapter 13 and chapter 17 that helps us to understand what the Christian life is really about. So in John chapter 13, he even talks about the one that's going to betray him. But he knows those who do believe on him. You see, God knows every one of his children. He knows every person that's in the church. He knows those who have believed and those who have not truly, truly trusted him. So he knows the real, genuine Christian. And who is a genuine Christian? It's one who has trusted Jesus Christ as the Savior. To take them to heaven whenever they die Someone that's not trusting in their works, but only in what Christ did on the cross for them. You've been born into God's family. You have the free gift of everlasting life. So when you go through here, you find some things that are mentioned. That after you trust the Lord, you know you have eternal life. God wants us to serve Him. And He even made the statement in chapter 12, that if any man will serve me, him will my Father honor. So now he's talking to them about how they are to serve. And so he gives them a great illustration about washing the feet. So he gets down there and he actually, and he washes their feet because they were always concerned about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And some people were a little upset because of that. And uh, even mama got involved and she came and says, I want one of my sons to sit on this side and one of my sons to sit on this side. And Jesus says, that's not mine to give. And so the day will come when everything will work out the way it should. But if you want to be greatly used by God, 
and you want a position in the kingdom of some prominence, God says, serve me now. Serve me now. And you can't serve God without serving people. Most people think the Christian life is trying to get people to serve them. Make me happy. Please me. Do whatever I want. And it's just the opposite. He said he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for all. He says, serving is what I want you to do. Learning how to give your life up for somebody else. And giving someone your life is giving somebody your time. You may have your own purpose and plans and goals in life, but you give up that in order to do what God wants you to do. And you give up your time, and time is very precious. And the older you get, the more precious it is. But it seems like the more precious it is, the more people who want some of the time. It's like a man who's very rich, and people want to get more of his money. And a person who has knowledge and wisdom from the Word of God, people want more and more of his time. But you're running out of time. So as you grow in the Lord, you're growing in value, in wisdom, things that God can use because you have more knowledge and experience that God can use. The last thing you want to do is grow old and not be used. Someone that God just takes and puts on a shelf. You want the Lord to be able to use you all the days of your life. So he says, now, I'm washing your feet. And what I'm doing right now, you don't really understand. Now, if it was just washing feet, they saw that. They, they saw he's washing feet. They knew what he was doing. But there was more to it than that, that he wanted them to understand. And about giving your time and giving your life for the value of someone else, that you are seeking the profit of someone else. You want them to profit. You want them to gain. And so... He says here in verse 17, look in verse 17 of chapter 13. If you know these things, happier ye if you know them. Is that what it said? Happier ye if you what? If you do them. You see, you may know the will of God. That doesn't mean a cotton-picking thing if you won't do it. I know the Bible. I know the Bible. Yeah, but if you don't live the Bible, you don't know the Bible. You don't know the Bible until the Bible controls your life. And if the Bible doesn't control your life, you don't know the book. And the joy, as he says, John makes a statement in one of his little books that he wrote. In third John. He said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. But if you don't have any children that you've led to Christ... And you never trained anybody to walk in truth. You can't know that joy. I have no greater joy than this. Than the people I've won to Christ serving God. So that means that if you don't do that, then there's a joy you have never had. And you will not have it. So you've eliminated something because you didn't give the time to it. Maybe you didn't take the time to learn. And if you didn't know it, you didn't take the time to share it. So there's things that we can think about. But he says, I'm telling you these things in advance so that when it happens, you'll know that I told you so. Now, you get to chapter 14, and as we live our Christian life, since I've trusted Christ as my Savior 55 years ago, my father-in-law passed on another truth to me, and that truth was Jesus is coming soon. And that was 55 years ago. 
and he's coming any day now. And I have lived every day in 55 years looking for Jesus to come again. And what does he do here in John chapter 14? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not true, I would have told you so. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But he didn't tell him when he's coming. I could say this is talking about at the end of the tribulation period, but I believe it's probably talking about the church when he's coming back for his children. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you and take you there. Now, at the end of the tribulation period, he doesn't take them there because he's going, coming down here, and his feet touches upon the Mount of Olives, and he sets up his kingdom upon the earth. But when he comes for the church, he's coming back and will be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. And this is the knowledge that we're supposed to take in the meantime, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Abide in him, abide in him. So when you get to chapter 15, and he keeps talking about abide, abide, abide. But then you go all the way over there to the book of 1 John that he also wrote. And he says, abide in him, little children, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So we're to live our lives in this last 2,000 years, looking for Jesus to come back at any time. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And this is every one of God's children. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, we don't look for the undertaker, we're looking for the upper taker. We believe that the Lord is coming back and going to take us out of this world. Now, you'll also notice there in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to, in verse 16, I'm going to ask the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. This is to believers. You see, these verses that we're talking about, this is to the believers. It hasn't happened yet because Christ has not yet been crucified. Christ has not yet come back from the dead. He has not yet ascended to the Father. The Holy Spirit has not yet come, but the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 50 days from the resurrection of Christ, came right on schedule. And so we find here in John chapter 14, he says, I am going to give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Wouldn't it be nice if I had trusted Christ as my Savior and Jesus appeared right there beside me? He says, now Yankee, I am going to walk with you everywhere you go. I'm going to be right here with you. So everywhere you go, I'm right here with you. And I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Now, I wouldn't know if that would be good news or bad news. Because then I'd really have to watch everything that I said and did and wherever I went, right? Because he's right there with me. I mean, flesh and blood, he's standing right there with me. So that would be scary enough. But then, lo and behold, Peter over here trusts Christ as the Savior. But Jesus can't go with him because, see, I've already got him. I, I, I got him. Peter didn't get him. Because he's limited to a body. Then the next thing you know, you'd want him. Tracy said, well, no, he's got to go with me. No, 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 no. He promised me first. So well, there'd be bloodshed among the brethren. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to send you someone just like me. 
And he will dwell within you. And he'll never leave you and never forsake you. You'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father. And he is going to send to you the Holy Spirit. So you and I receive the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ as our Savior. Isn't that wonderful? Now, hold your place right here and just look there in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and look in verse 39. Look at verse 37. We'll start in verse 37. Where in verse 37 it says, In that last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And as the scripture hath said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Now look at the next part of that verse. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Christ was not yet glorified. He has not yet died and come back from the dead. He says, when I leave you, I'm going to send him. So he left here after his resurrection, and then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, right on schedule. And so we know that he came, and that's when the church age began. So we know these scriptures here must be and have to be talking to the church age people. Because as far as with the nation of Israel, as a nation, uh, they had washed their hands of it, wanted nothing to do with it. So now it's to individuals. So he was commanding the Christians to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every one of us. And then he tells it that this is how I want you to tell them. So when he says, and teach them all things which I have commanded you. Well, these are those commands that he gave. He didn't give them on that day when he gave the great commission or the great compassion. But he did give them in John chapter 13 through 17. And because this is why he says here. Now look up there in verse 15 where it says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. This is not talking about the Ten Commandments. This is a command where Jesus says, I love you, and I want you to love others. And so if you'll just hold your place there in chapter 14, look in chapter 15, and notice what it says in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. That's how you abide in his love, by loving others the way God wants us to. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. So you have been placed into the love of God. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you are receiving God's love. There are people who reject God's love. Jesus Christ dying on the cross was God's way of saying, I love you. Christ paying for all of my sins is God's way of saying, I love you. Him not sending me to hell when I deserve to go to hell is God's way of saying, I love you. So he loved me, and he says, now, if I believe that he loved me, then he gives me eternal life as a gift, and I become his child. Now, as a child of God, God wants me to love, because I have been loved. He wants me to forgive, because I have been forgiven. So we have a choice. And some of God's children will, and some of God's children will not. So he makes a statement there in verse 11. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. 
So it's not talking about the Ten Commandments of the law. This is talking about, I want you, if you love me, I'm telling you, love others. Love one another. And by this shall all men know you are my disciples because they love one another. Wouldn't it be great if everybody just loved everybody? If you loved everybody, you see, you don't steal from them. You don't lie about them. You don't cheat them. You don't, you don't, do, you, you don't harm them. You don't have to. If love rules, you don't need laws. Our Congress doesn't understand. Our legislators don't do it and understand. You see, they cannot legislate total morality from the people who have a sinful nature. They're trying to strap them down because of their sinful nature so they can't move and do anything wrong. And you have to take away all their rights. Why don't you give them something that helps to control and restrain the old sinful nature that lives inside of them? And you say, well, what's that? Christ. That's why every kid in public school, every person in any institution of learning, everybody in government, everybody needs Christ. There is no control of the old sinful nature outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not there. Can't be done. That's why even with a wonderful nation like America and capitalism, even those people who promise that kind of work and they work hard and they make money, they're stealing most people blind. People in stocks and bonds, it's always about how to get rich quick and get something. And you got to take it from somebody before, you know, they take it from you. Do unto others and then split. Do unto others before they do unto you. I don't think they get it quite right. But in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. See there in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which is the Father, whom the Father will send in my name, he, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, of course, he's talking about these things that he's told his disciples once the Holy Spirit had them. They could recall all the details and all the information that they needed in order that they might write what God wanted them to write. And they wrote what God told them to write. They didn't make it up. No. The Holy Spirit can reveal. And you and I are supposed to believe that once we've trusted Christ as our Savior and we study the Word of God, we can trust and depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to bring things to our remembrance, to help us to make wise decisions. And when sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Hide thy words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The entrance of thy word give light. We're supposed to know those things and of and, and remember them so that that time comes. Now, in John chapter 15, what is the main thing that whenever you read the book of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 8, when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, you shall be what? Witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, here's the Holy Spirit in chapter 14. What do you have in chapter 15? The fruit. It's the fruit, the result of your witnessing for the Lord. So you see, it's kind of like walking you through what's going to happen. He tells us what he's going to do, and then he does it, and then he tells you what he done told you. And so in John chapter 15, he talks about the true vine, talks about the branches. And you and I in this little uh, narrative here is, well, we're the branches, 
And we're branches that um, the Bible says bear fruit. Now there's a difference between bearing fruit and producing fruit. It is not my job to produce the fruit. I can't save a soul. But I am to bear the fruit. You see, Jesus is the truth. That's the root. And the root bears truth. And the truth comes up and goes out through the branches. We have believed the truth. And therefore, we are branches of this truth. And so the truth is to flow through the branches and someone else believes the truth as we share the truth. And there's fruit that comes from the truth that we give. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 17. Just look there real quick and I'll show you this. In John chapter 17, you'll notice what he says here in uh, verse 16. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we have heard the word of truth. We believe the word of truth. We are branches that are to bear the truth. We don't manufacture the truth. We only bear the truth. We share the truth. We don't actually produce the fruit that comes from them believing the truth that comes from God. So whenever you read John chapter 15, you'll notice he talks about there in verse 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, or sets it aside. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, and may bring forth more fruit. But the purpose of the branch being left here is for you and I to abide in Christ. That means abide where you have been placed. You have been placed in Christ. Now live like you're in Christ. Live like you are a child of God. Live like you believe what Christ wants you to do with your life. And then you can enjoy and see fruit that comes because of them believing the truth. See, you and I don't have to manufacture truth, manufacture the Christian life. We don't have to be hypocrites and put on a Christian front and a Christian face all we have to do is just be real, be what we are. I am a Christian. That's what I am. Therefore, I want the truth of God's Word to flow through me. I want to live the truth. I want to speak the truth. And whenever you do, there is going to be consequences and results. And he says, the world hated him. Do you expect the world to love you? So anyway... When you go here to John chapter 15, you'll notice where he makes the statement, Every branch in me that beareth fruit, not produce, that beareth fruit, over and over again, that beareth fruit. Down in verse 4, I and you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine and bearing fruit. Now, you're abiding in Christ, believing the truth, living the truth, we want to see what truth will do. When we give the gospel and we tell the truth, when we tell people the honest, the goodness, gospel truth, that you cannot earn eternal life, you cannot work your way to heaven, that it's not because you turn from your sins, because that's not the truth. You don't have to make Christ the Lord and the master of your life and promise that I'm going to serve God in order to go to heaven, because it's not the truth. But if you tell the simple, pure gospel truth, 
And people can hear that and say, now I understand it. It's free. And they accept Christ as their Savior. They are born of the truth, born again into God's family. Now, look there in chapter 16. Chapter 16 lets us know that as we go into all the world and we preach the gospel, we are supposed to depend upon the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, because that's what the gospel does. And as we give the gospel, they find out, lo and behold, I'm not righteous. I am going to be judged. I have not believed on Christ. And it's the preaching of the gospel that God uses the Holy Spirit uses that truth to penetrate and convict people that says, now I know I am not saved. For example, this morning, hopefully in preaching truth, several people saw and understood if what that preacher is saying, I am not saved, I am not born again, and I need to be. And so they said that they would trust Christ as their Savior. So when they trust Christ as their Savior, it's not, well, Yankee saved me. I have never saved anybody. I don't have the power to save anybody. But I know someone who can save everybody, and that's the Lord. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so in verse 7 down to verse 11, explains that to us so that we know and understand what's going to happen. And the Bible tells us that as we... Serve the Lord, there's going to be times that we're going to have great sorrow. In this life, there's going to be sorrow. There's going to be a lot of pain and suffering that goes on. There's going to be tribulation. And so if you look there in verse 20 of chapter 16, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Because Christ was going to die. And there's going to be sorrow. He says, but then afterwards... When I come back from the dead and you see me, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Well, since we already know that. So we all already ought to be joyful that not only do we know the Lord, but He knows me. And that I'm His child and I'm going to heaven someday and I have a lot to be thankful for. And so when you get to chapter 17, of all the things that God wants us to do, in our Christian life. He's told us that we'll have the Holy Spirit with us. We're supposed to have fruit and all that. But always bathe everything that we have with prayer. I think this is a very fitting place for John chapter 17. What is John chapter 17 about? This is a wonderful prayer. And I guess you could say this is really the Lord's prayer. This is where the Lord prays for his children. Isn't it wonderful that he prays for us? You read the 17th chapter and it'll bless your little pea-picking heart to know that he prays for us, how he wants us to be. Now eventually, if not in this world, in the world to come, there will be the perfect unity of God's children as we see the perfect unity, peace, joy, and love in the Godhead. There's no division there. There's no problem there. There's no sin there. And when we get to be with the Lord for all eternity, we will have a sinful nature. Everybody will be as righteous as God. But that day has not come yet. 
but it is coming. So Christ is going to die now. He's told them what he wants them to do, and look what he says in chapter 17. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. See, everyone who trusts Christ as Savior is born of God. And God says He's going to take every believer and give those to the Son. And we become the bride of Christ. So there's going to be a wedding someday, and the Father is given us to the Son. So He says, and everyone that the Father giveth to me, we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. You know, I, I wouldn't mind this marriage supper of the Lamb. I wonder if it's going to be a little bit like our third Sunday dinner. But just think, I wonder if you'll be able to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and just eat. You know, eating is to me one of the greatest inventions ever. Food. Wasn't that a great thing for God to do? Don't y'all just love to eat? Don't you love to eat? Isn't it a joy? To sit down and eat. Especially if you could eat whatever you wanted to eat. They say today, if it tastes good, you can't have it. It's not good for you. It's got to taste terrible in order for it to be good for you. Man, I told you. When I get to heaven, I hope that we all have big old chocolate eclairs to eat. But John chapter 17 is a wonderful chapter on prayer. And what God wants for all of us. Now look in verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me, or behold, he says, be where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The prayer that he's praying is, Lord, I want them to love as you love me. I want them to love that same way. And before we close tonight, I want to show you one of my favorite verses. I've had it for years. John chapter 14, anybody know the verse? Nobody knows my favorite verse. John 14, 31, where he says, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father hath gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise and let us go hence. He was going to the cross. So he says, I want the world to know that I love my Father. So willingly, obediently, he goes to the cross and dies to pay for the sins of the world because that was the will of God the Father. And the only way he could show the world that he loved his Father was to obey his Father. And the only way you can show that you love your Heavenly Father is by obedience to your Father. And that's why we should do what we should do. This hand representing 
you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God says that we all sin. We all do things wrong. None of us are perfect. We've all messed up. And God says to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, and none of us are perfect. We're not righteous. We've all sinned. Come short of God's perfection. And God says that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. That's why all men are going to die and be separated from God. So man can't save himself. The church can't save you. Your good works can't save you. No religion can save you. You need a Savior. And yet people have heard about it so much that Christ died to pay for the sins of the world. Think of how many people have heard that and have no clue what it means. Christ died to pay for the sins of the world so that the world wouldn't have to pay for their sins. He paid for my sins so that I wouldn't have to pay for my sins. Otherwise, what's the purpose in it? If I still got to pay for my sins, why did he die then? He died to pay for my sins, and he asked me, will you believe it? If you will believe that he did it for you, that he loved you that much, he'll put that payment that he made to your account, and you get to go to heaven on what he did for you. See, Jesus Christ, this is Christ, he came into the world because he had no sin, but he loved us, and he took our sins and paid for them on the cross, came back from the dead, said that if we would believe it, he would give us as a free gift everlasting life. We go to heaven because, see, all my sins are paid. He died to pay for all my sins. I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of them. And I'm going to heaven. You say, you don't deserve that. You're right. I know it. I do not deserve to go to heaven. But I'm going to heaven not because I love God, but because he loves me. He loved me so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means he won't go to hell, but have everlasting life means you have eternal life. You get to go to heaven when you die. So he told his disciples, he says, be not afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you so. But I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. Best thing in the world. And that's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's pray, shall we? with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just talk to the Lord and say something like this? Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know I'm a sinner. And I realize I cannot save myself. My good works are not good enough. The church can't save me. My money can't save me. My going to church and trying to live right, it will not save me. Therefore, tonight, I accept Jesus Christ and Him alone as my Savior. And friend, God said if you would trust Him, He would save you and give you eternal life. He says, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Means if you believe it right now, He saves you right now. If you believe it right now, you hath everlasting life right now. Because God said so. That's how you can know. Will you take God at His word? Would you believe him? I pray that you will. I did it many years ago. Never have to do it again. But right where you're sitting, I'm not going to have you forward, not going to embarrass you. But with head bowed, eyes closed, is there anyone else? Yes, preacher, that made sense to me. And tonight, I will accept Jesus Christ right now as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me in closing. I'd like to have prayer for you. 
I'd like to know. Would you slip you in it very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you never have to do it again. But as a child of God, it is God's desire, God's will for you that you honor your Father, that you serve Him. Not to get to heaven, but because you're going there. If you're watching by internet tonight, I pray that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. And if you have, trust the Lord even tonight. Would you just click on the little statement right there on your screen? It lets us know that someone trusted the Lord. Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for this time together. Bless each one here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.